my name is Isabella Johnston, the Intern Whisperer. Our show is brought to you by Employers for Change, and today's tip of the week is continuing our series on unconscious bias, and we're going to talk about nonverbal bias. This is defined as analyzing communication that's displayed through body language and letting it affect a decision or an opinion to hire a person. So just imagine this. You are meeting a candidate whether it is in person or virtually, for an interview, and nonverbal bias can creep in, whether it's a weak handshake, folded arms, or difficulty holding eye contact. Eye contact. So it's easy to take these cues as disinterested, overconfidence, or perhaps an overall negative attitude. It's important to remember that the way a person moves through the world is not indicative of their true intentions or whether they will be a successful addition to your team or not. So how can you avoid any type of this nonverbal bias? Well, first remember, everybody's different. This includes the mannerisms and the ways that we communicate physically. For example, if a candidate is keeping their arms crossed in an interview, perhaps it's simply a nervous response. You can teach someone to uncross their arms, but that doesn't mean they will necessarily bring the skills to their position. So you just need to remember that, you know, all people get anxious, we get nervous, and how we show that is very different. We just have to make sure that we're not internalizing it and trying to read something into it. Welcome to The Intern Whisperer. Our show is all about the future of work. So I want to welcome everyone to The Intern Whisperer. Our show is all about the future of work and innovation. And today's guest is somebody I've known for a while. His name is Luis Garcia. Um, he is with Pete Learning. He is joining us for the show today. He is a seasoned international executive who has been working in technology, digital media, and education for over 25 years. He and I are peers. He specializes in driving new ventures and products to rapid growth by building effective teams that use innovation, technology, and creativity to achieve complex problems. He is an expert networker. He is a connector of people to opportunities and a lifelong learner. A lifelong learner. So I want to say, Luis, welcome to the show. I'm so excited to have you here. Thank you, Samela. I'm super happy to be here with you. Oh, and look at us. We're mirroring the black on black here. Look, right. that looks so good. <laughs> I should turn off some of my lights to make my, my lighting match yours, but too late. Okay, so we kick off the show with five words that would drive you. Now, I only let you break my rule. No, nobody else gets to break the rule, but I've known you for a while. So what are your two words and why? So the two words, and thank you for allowing me to break the, uh, mm -hmm. the, the rule, is uh, driven mm -hmm. and, and caring. Okay, and, but why? Uh, uh, you know, the driven came, uh, we used to do this, uh, this kind of exercises uh, when I worked at Pool Cell in the uh, university. And uh, quite a bit in um, about this the the word describing uh, things and and one time I took it up of my to myself to ask people to describe me with one word and uh, and talk to a few people that I thought would represent me well and this word driven came on top when people described me so even even if I didn't think that was a thing I I, I thought I thought that it was true because people believed it um, so. 
I think it speaks to um, my competitive spirit and uh, I very goal driven. So mm -hmm. every time I want to, uh, I'm into something, I, I make goals so I can make a plan to reach it mm -hmm. and, uh, and then make plans to, to uh, also make sure that I uh, stay away from the obstacles or remove obstacles. So it's just that uh, impetus of always making progress that, that, uh, gave me that uh, uh that descriptive word uh of driven and um and i added caring because it's is it's been a journey of mine uh to add uh to what i do of helping others and um so so i i i guess it's nice that i would like to describe myself that way but i, I really do try uh to to care and, and help others, so uh, so that's why the two words. And you we, can and you can care for others with a lot of drive. You sure can, and because I added some two, you you actually have five. Because I had said you're an expert networker, and you are. You just glide through the room when we go to events, and there you're you're there connecting people to all types of opportunities. You've done that for me many times. I always appreciate it. So that's why I said connector networker and then a lifelong learner it's like a compound word i'm going to hyphenate it so it's there because you've been in education for a really long time and you're still staying in that space and making sure people are learning yes and um i i i got to education by accident as as a, as a worker hmm. of education by accident and uh but i stayed because i liked it and um so uh so yes it, it becomes something very important for me uh, but but if we could go to the next question, I actually can tell the whole story. Of how, Ooh, how well, we are there. So where did you go to college? Yes. And then how did you get to where you are now? So that's that's a few years. So, you know, we've yeah. got time, but, you know, sometime, not a whole day. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I will start even before me that okay. um, education was incredibly important to my parents. And um, my dad was the first one to go to college from 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 his family, and uh, so was my mom. And um, and uh, I grew up in Venezuela. My parents are from a small town in the mountains in the Andes, the Venezuela Andes, uh, which a lot of people don't know that there's a little portion of the Andes that go into Venezuela, and um, and uh, so my, that's where my parents are from. Um, and my dad left uh, uh, his home. Uh, I think at 15, because his town didn't have the last year of high school. Hmm. So he had to move to a bigger a bigger city and, um, and attended a big state university. And uh, something that probably like, like it would be like Gainesville or UF, right? A city that is all about the, the university is all spread out around the city. Mm -hmm. so my dad went to a very big last school like that. And he was from the first uh, um class that, of electrical engineering of that university. And uh, as a result, uh, my dad had a, a job in the capital of the country and I uh, married my mom, and uh, uh, which stopped going to school because back then a lot of people did that. Once they got married, they stayed home and uh, and she started having children. And, uh, and uh, years later, she decided to uh, improve herself. She finished high school in, uh, mm. in her 20s and then went on to law school and uh, so i remember my mom studying uh to be an attorney and um uh, which she still is 
Uh, so my my parents' education really changed their life. Uh, for <laughs> them, a really uh, a, a really exceptional life, and um, that um, afforded us, their children, uh, things that they, they they could never have. And uh, we used to travel a lot. We travel all around the, the world. Um, but everywhere we went, if there was a famous university, we would go to it. So mm-hmm. if we went to San Francisco, we go to see Stanford. If we were in LA, we go to see UCLA. If we were in New York, we would see, you know, NYU. And, and that's a, a practice that I carry myself. If I, when I went to Boston the first time, I went without my parents and I made sure that I visited a lot of the universities there. And so it was something very um, important in my family. And um, so I went to college in Venezuela first. Um, I wanted to be a musician. And, um, and my parents were very uh, uh, down with the idea. <laughs> what and, do you play? Uh, I play guitar and, and okay. keyboards. And uh, so I wanted to be a music producer. Uh, and my parents, uh, were, they said, well, you know, you got to go to college first here. And, um, and then we'll see, kind of hoping that it will go away. Mm-hmm. Music doesn't go away. And uh, but I did, and uh, I went into um, the version, the Venezuelan version of computer science, which is called systems engineering. And uh, because I was a programmer since I was seven years old, so that was very familiar to me. Wow. And, uh, and um, so, and my older brother was in that program, so I went to a private university called uh, Universidad Metropolitana in, in Caracas uh, to to attend a systems engineering school. And um, and throughout, I still would play. I would play professionally through college. And um, and uh, um, three years in, and college there is five years. And um, I I came to the states uh, by myself with my twin brother. I have a, a an identical twin brother. Oh my God! Where yeah. does this person live? Miami. Oh my God! Okay, now so, if so I see we, you. I want to see it together. Yeah, yeah. To, I'll I'll show you a picture. And. Okay. Um, uh, uh, he was smarter than me, and uh, but I'm better looking. <laughs> You're <laughs> twins. <laughs> That's right. You get, you get that joke. Most people don't get that joke. Yeah. Uh, You're identical, <laughs> so of course. <laughs> so um, anyway, I came to the States, and um, I went to uh, visit Berkeley uh, College of Music in Boston, and I was all set up that I was going to, after finishing college, I was going to go to Berkeley, and and um, and I came back to Venezuela and told my parents, you know, that's what they did. They promised that they would let me uh, do that. And uh, I still have two years to go. I finished, I graduated and, uh, with that degree. I was very young, graduated at 21. Wow. And um, uh, so I then came to the States, but uh, came for a vacation with my parents first. And we were going to New Hampshire. And then we're going to finish the trip in Orlando because all Venezuelan trips end in Orlando. That's true. <laughs> and um, and uh, so while we were in New Hampshire, we went to Boston and we went to see the university and, my, and um, sat with the missions. And um, I could tell my parents were not happy about it. But, and, uh, but then on my way down in, in, in Orlando, I had a friend that played with me that was attending Fulton University. And uh, which back then was called the School of Real World Education. And uh, he said, you cannot come see the school. So he picked us up, my brother and I, and he took us to the school. And, and it was just a pretty amazing place. And the uh, recording studios were 
much better than the ones that I saw in Boston and Berkeley. Mm-hmm. And, um, and, and the place itself was just more beautiful. And, uh, and they had a one-year program um, because it wasn't a full bachelor's degree. But I already had a bachelor's degree, so I didn't care. And um, so my parents were more keen on us doing that. And uh, so I came back to Venezuela, finished college, taught one semester in college programming while my brother was graduating, and they moved to Orlando to attend full cell. But there was another twist, and it was that while uh, we were about to enroll, full cell started a new program because we were going to go study recording, and uh, that was called digital media. Uh, which was the combination of graphics and and, uh, and music and, and so on. And we thought that that was probably better for us as programmers. And uh, back then it was to do CD-ROMs and, uh, and probably have a better chance of staying in the country And uh, because that looked like a more corporate type job that we could get and we could probably get a sponsor. And uh, whereas if we were to just in the recording uh, career, those careers just start at the very bottom and uh, they don't you don't get a sponsorship <laughs> to go serve coffee in a recording studio and um and uh, so we never actually went into the recording program we went directly into this new program called digital media and um and uh, so i never became a music producer That's so very uh, interesting. yeah it's, it's interesting um have uh towards the end of the program um uh, part of the program included computer animation, and uh, and Full Sail invested in a in a silicon graphics lab, which is a very 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 big investment back then. Each each computer worth in six figures, right? And uh, this is when Jurassic Park, Toy Story was coming out in the nineties. So it was a small component of it. It also had a component of virtual reality. I took a virtual reality class in ninety six at Full Sail, and uh, so it was very cutting edge, even though it was a one year program and um and uh because of the training that the instructors needed to have to teach the 3d software uh they used to get tra- they used to get the training the certification and then they will go and go to la and get hired by studios to do 3d because it was very hard back then and the school kept having to find another group of instructors having to certify them and they kept leaving. And uh, so what the school decided to do, and uh, it, it, this whole story will make sense in a second. Uh, they end up- No, hiring, I think I can see where it's going, to be honest. Yeah, these, they end up hiring the instructor that certified the animators. Mm-hmm. So at least get the instructor and not have to pay for every certification. And uh, so that guy, his name was uh, uh, Albert Eng, and um, he gets hired by the school, um, and then we go into this very large conference in uh, in Vegas called the NAB, the National Association of Broadcasters. Uh, Full Sail would pay for about 20 students or 20 or 40 students to go for free. They will pay for it and you had to go through a contest. And uh, my brother and I applied and, and we were chosen. So Full Sail will teach you all these ways to network. And all that I know about networking, I, I read, I learned at school. So one day when uh, in Las Vegas at this conference and, uh, and Albert, the guy that certified the animators knocked at our door and said, can I use your phone? This is before cell phones. And I said, sure, sure. Uh, come in and use the phone. And we are 
with every single Isabella, with every single business card we got that day, writing down in the back what we learned from the person and who that person was, and we have like a, a log of everything, like a really, really, you know. And uh, and the guy stands right next to us and says, "What? What are you doing?" And so we explained to them that you know we needed to get a job because we needed to get sponsors so we could get stay in the country and. Mm -hmm. uh, we wanted a job on the internet because we've been reading about the internet and that was the future and we were teaching ourselves the programming languages of the internet we were teaching ourselves that and uh, so that we could have an edge and he's like I'm very impressed tomorrow you hang out with me so next day we get off the bus with him and uh, we, you know there's 30,000 people at NAB it's a very large conference we're walking in and this guy with funny glasses is walking out and, and says, Albert, and he's like, he's like, Andy, and they're hugging. And uh, and uh, and uh, that guy had an animation studio in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, who did a lot of work for ESPN. So, and Albert had certified his animator. So that's how they knew each other. So, and, and uh, Albert asked, how's the business? And he said, well, we're doing this, we created this website, this internet thing. And now to, to help the production process with ESPN, we set up an internet connection and a website and, uh, and uh, so that we could uh, get the renders of the animations back and forth with the producers. And uh, so we got into the internet business. And, um, and, and uh, he said, oh, that's great. And how can I help you, said Albert? He said, we need programmers. We don't have programmers. Do you know any programmers, Albert? And, uh, and he said, I sure do. And uh, he turns around and the two of us were there and said, you guys have your resume? And we said, yeah, absolutely. And uh, to make the story short, that was my first job. You and, got sponsored? Uh, yeah. Wow. A few How did your later, parents feel with having two of their sons in an industry that they didn't maybe didn't understand? Maybe or not understand want? whatsoever. And, yeah. Uh, it, I think back, and it's kind of crazy what we did. And uh, uh, because it had to be so short, the interview, he, they fly us out to Milwaukee. And we walk into this office that looks really, really cool. And, and we sit with Andy and Andy say, you know, I want to have sliders, X, Y, Z, X slider on the router to get a coordinate in, in three dimensions um, mm -hmm. with a cube. And then I want to push a button and I want that to enter into the alias system, re-render with the rotation of the cube and put it back in the browser. And uh, and then he handed us the keys of the office. It was a fourth July weekend. Keys of the office, he pointed to a bunch of manuals on the wall and left. And, and by Monday, we needed to make that happen. You couldn't have sliders in the browser in 1996. Wow. And, um, and uh, the only way to do it was through a Java applet, which we have taught ourselves how to do it, a programming language we have taught ourselves. So we could do that. But the, and I could, in the server, through the prompt, generate a scene file and modify it. Hmm. But I couldn't connect the whole thing. <laughs> we couldn't connect the whole thing. And uh, the day of the interview, the system administrator came in early and said, what are you guys doing? So he said, well, we did the sliders here and you can push this button and then call HTTP with, with, a, with a coordinate. 
And then I can, through the prompt here, I can actually put the same coordinates and regenerate the, 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 the scene file. But what I cannot generate is a JPEG. And how do I put this in the browser back? I said, well, you guys have to write a CGI, a CGI uh, uh, program. I'll write it for you because you guys have all the components. So I'll write it for you. So he wrote it. And uh, it was a few lines of code. He was impressed with the way we actually did it because I would have not done it like that. I would have, uh, he would have hacked it. And we actually did it in, in, the, in the formal way. So Andy walked in, he, um, he, it was a theater. So we put the browser in the theater, there's the cube. There's the three, there's, there's the three um, uh, sliders. He moves the sliders, pushes a button, and we actually never saw it. <laughs> it will hit the CGI, the CGI will prompt into the into the render farm, re-regenerate the thing. He had a program that converted into JPEG, and then it showed up in the browser and we got hired. That's crazy. Yeah. That's amazing though. It's really a good story, to be honest. This is your <laughs> twin brother, right? My twin brother and I, we got hired together. Yeah, I know. I can just see your parents. You know, I, I don't know your parents, but I can imagine the the look on their face going, what did they just do? We don't understand. How did they do this? <laughs> Are they going to be okay? <laughs> yeah. And, uh, and um, I I came back from that trip and proposed to my wife, to who is my wife right now, because I, I got a job in the U.S. now I can get married. And, um, and they moved to Milwaukee. <laughs> that's a big change well i don't know i'm sure it gets is there snow in uh venezuela i'm sure there is no there's, snow. <laughs> there's no okay so you had a huge culture shock of weather huge huge yeah. and milwaukee come on i don't know at the time i don't think it was very progressive yeah it is um very 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 interesting we spent a couple of years there. A year later, we were running the the whole uh, development team, my, my brother and I. I became an executive really young, like up to 25. And um, and uh, we became VPs of operations for, for that company um, like a year in, you know, a year and a half in. And, um, and then that was, then we're getting to the late 90s, right? And now it's like dog.com boom, right? Mm -hmm. And um, and one day again for work, and they got a, a message in my machine. You know, again, this is before cell phones. And there's this uh, this uh, full site graduate that went to school with me, had left a message in my machine, which I had never heard, I haven't heard from since I graduated. But somehow I got a hold of my phone number at home, and uh, and said, guys, you guys remember me? We went to school together. I was starting a startup in Phoenix. And uh, it's called quepasa.com. It's going to be bilingual. And uh, but no one here speaks Spanish. And I remember you guys. And um, and uh, so that's how I got my second job. Hmm. So I have I have a ton of questions there. Do you still program though? I um every once in a while I love programming. And uh, mm -hmm. during the pandemic, I taught myself uh, Python because I didn't know any Python. So. I do a lot of modeling in in um, in in Excel, and uh, and I was doing some very complex models, and I knew if I could actually write code, that I could do it better. So I taught myself Python and um, and uh, just to do that. So that was like I spent quite a few hours, probably like a hundred hours during the pandemic teaching myself doing that. And uh, and yeah, yes, all the models, the the forecast models, and the the for student population of pools, which when you work in education. Uh, modeling food population is really, really hard. And um, we're, we're done with that. So, yeah. So how did you end up back at Full sale? Because that was like, what, so, 19, so we went 20 to, years? We went to Phoenix. We get hired. 
again together, mm -hmm. my brother and I. Uh, this time now he's getting married and, um, and, uh, and we moved to Phoenix. This company, the day I arrived to Phoenix, the company filed to go public. And um, uh, so it was a roller coaster. Um, and we we got hired as, as, as VPs of product development. So I had, a, and uh, it's the first time I was gonna do content. So I had to hire a team of journalists, which I had no idea how to do, and, uh, but we ended up doing it. And um, we spent, the company went public a couple of months later and, you know, drive that. And then, then there was not really revenue. And uh, so we had to lay off people. And uh, the whole, the whole thing that a company were going in 20 years, we didn't tell. Mm, that's and, sad. Uh, yeah. And, uh, and then I got, um, so I lost that job. I got laid off that job eventually. I had to lay off my team all the way to laying myself off. And, um, and then a media company from Venezuela was moving to Miami, opening an office in Miami. And we wanted to go back to Florida so bad. And um, I interviewed with, with big big companies in California as well, but I didn't want to go there. And um, and then we got hired for the third time together. Mm -hmm. And we moved to Miami. And I worked in the, they opened two offices. One to do the product development of the web properties with my brother ended up managing. And, uh, and one little uh, corporate uh, venture group to invest in companies. And that's how I got my first investment job, the only one actually, in, um, in Miami. So- I'm still going, how'd you get to full sale? How do I get to full sale? Well, well, I connected back to education. So I worked in ventures. I'm like, I don't even know how the people that work on this look like. And, that's what start, and I start seeing that they have MBAs. Mm -hmm. And that sounds like maybe I should get one. And um, so I started applying uh, to executive programs back then. And uh, I said, I'm going to try to go to Duke because I really like that school. And I have friends that have gone there. And um, I don't know if I get accepted. I don't think I'm good enough. Uh, if I don't, I'll stay and go to the local to University of Miami or, or, or whatever. And um, so I get accepted and then I get laid off. Because this, the political situation in Venezuela went down spiral, and, uh, and then they decided to close the, the office in Miami, and that's how I got the post. And uh, I call the university. They have tried to hire me two years before to do their online education. I end up going to the job in Miami, so I called them back and said, "Well, we never hired somebody, so why did you come with us?" And uh, so I. Moved to Orlando on a Friday to a new to this house. Cleaned the house during the weekend, and on Sunday I took an airplane to North Carolina for my first week at Duke. And then I came back on the following weekend, and then my first day at Fulso was right after that. And that's wow. how I got to education completely by accident. Wow. I, it's the job that I got. Yeah. And you've had a lot of different roles there. I think this is obviously the longest conversation I've had, and I've learned so much about you. I'm really glad that you agreed to be a guest. I don't tell the stories very often, and I, I, I hope it's not boring. But No, uh, it's so interesting, yeah. Well, Fulsa hired me because they needed to do an online university, and they didn't know how. And I had a, a background in web, so they thought doing online education was creating a website, and I knew how to do that. And... Um, and uh, 
uh, that's how, why I get hired, but that was the easy part. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that was the easy part. It took me like two years um, of experiments to understand what online learning was, even in that, and yeah. how that translated into educational model of full sale, which I didn't even know what an educational model was. And um, so um, a lot of my peers were people that, that were my teachers seven, eight years before that have gone into the administration. So in a way I got into a very familiar place. Mm -hmm. And um, and uh, so I got hired in 2003, but 2005, I was rolling out uh, prototypes of online courses and, um, and decided to build our own learning management system because I didn't like anything that was out there. So I designed it myself and uh, and rolled out the first uh, degree in 2007. Mm -hmm. And so it took me four years. And then it was a roller coaster after that. No, so, it, was just, it was just up. Yeah, yeah. Well, roller coasters can go pretty high. Too. Yeah, it was, it, it was just And then up. they start going all over the place. The first class was 13 students. It was a graduate school in the entertainment business. I had to create a department to create content, a department to give support. I so did they have instructional design designers no, back then? We didn't even know that existed. And okay. um, that was a thing. So I built the first courses with a small team of, you know, video people. And mm -hmm. uh, one of which is uh, Michael Carwell was my first hire. Which wow. has a great company, Digital Brew, now mm -hmm. uh, here in Orlando, super successful. And, um, and then in a year, we have a couple hundred students. And then two years in, we had 5,000 students. And the reason why that's not noticeable is because the campus population was 5,000. Mm. And it took 20 years to get there. Mm -hmm. and, we, and we did that online in two and a half. That's crazy. And then before I know it, I had a thousand employees. That's and crazy I too. Over twenty-five educational programs, and we were the fastest-growing online university in the country. You were probably the only one that was online. I think. No, there were there were plenty. I mean, there were I mean there were huge operations like you know University of Phoenix was huge, and you know there were other other ones, but traditional universities haven't gone into online just yet. Hmm. So. Yeah, it was very, very, there was a point that was hiring 50, 50 people a month. That's unbelievable. Yeah, it was, it was, so it was from me just by myself to like two, three people to one person departments turning into 20 people departments. And we had to move, move offices every six months because mm -hmm. we, we kept I know because full sales so big it it used to be this gigantic shopping center that was out there and it's turned into this whole education compound and yeah. it just continues to get bigger yeah it's incredible um so I did that for seven years um and then I I thought that it was time for me to because I see my career in, in chunks of five years and and I did that for seven in that and I said you know it's it doesn't need me anymore and uh, so I just gave up all my operations. I just want to do other things. I just like starting things. And they were very, very kind with me and letting me do that. So I transitioned all my operations out and um, 
because I think that's part of, of, of su success is when it doesn't when it doesn't need you to run that in my mind. Oh gosh, yeah. And um, so if he's ready to be transitioned to somebody else, I'm opening a door to somebody else to leave. And and I did my job. If if it falls apart because I'm not there, then I, I feel that I did a bad job. Mm. So um, so I transitioned out and started doing other things. Like I started the, the recruitment department for international, which we didn't have one. And I grew that in a couple of years. Then I spent a year in Brazil because I, of a company that had bought over there. And uh, so I went, went see, to be CEO there for a year. And virtual uh, sale. Mm -hmm. Okay. And I came, came back and did a brand for children. That was a ton of fun. And um, uh, called Fusa Labs for summer camps, and uh, mm -hmm. the children was really, really, really cool. Um, and then my last job was uh, 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 emerging technologies. The, the 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 university wanted to move from media into technology, and they took technology careers, and uh, that was a transition that they've been trying to do for a while, but wasn't quite getting there. And uh, so they gave me the, they created a position for me to hold all the technology degrees as a portfolio and grow in them. And I doubled that in three years. And, um, and I have questions for you offline, ma'am. Yes. Not on the show, but offline. Yeah. Thank you. And that's it. You know, I, I, my education was university in Venezuela undergrad, another undergrad in the, a full cell and Duke University for my master's degree. And that's how I got to education. By accident. Is your Duke uh, degree, what is it? Uh, MBA. Okay, okay. so did you do that all online? No, I I will, in my first two years of full cell, I, every other Thursday I would get on an airplane in Thursday afternoon, fly fly to Raleigh, North Carolina. I had class. So it was online, I mean on the ground. It was, it was presential, yeah. So yeah. All, all day on Friday and three quarters of a day on Saturday and then I will fly back. Yeah. Yeah, Rollins does those. I know a lot of schools do that where it's very intensive and it's just... Yeah, it was intensive. Yeah. But it was amazing. It was amazing. By the time you've been working for a while, though, you know, all of that, it, it's accelerated learning, truly, because you understand what, how it should work. You know, it's no longer, gee, I don't know, is this possible? It's like, oh, yeah, we know it's possible. And and um, and executive programs, especially the caliber of everybody else around you, is just incredible. Yeah. So you learn from your peers. I think that those, those two years, I, I will, every every Friday or Saturday, I will, you know, we were having a drink when we were off class or something, and uh, I will put forward a problem and uh, that I was having a work. <laughs> because the first job that they gave me a full set was to run our university press, which I knew nothing. I came from the digital world. I didn't know how to print. And um, so... It was kind of a manufacturing thing as well. So I didn't know, never run, never been on a manufacturing plant. And I have people that in my class that were, you know, plant managers for, you know, Johnson mm -hmm. & Johnson or whatever, probably a gamble. So I would ask him, well, I'm having this problem. And they would say, oh, that's very typical. This is how you fix it. And I would, I would come back on Monday, implement what my peers told me. And I'm like, I never felt so smart. <laughs> mm -hmm. That's really a, a good story. So that, that's a, did that take too long to answer that question? No, you did great. I don't know. Do you want to give a little update as to where you are now? Because like we haven't gone through the other questions and we have yeah, a bunch so, of okay. stuff to talk so, about. So all in all, I spent 19 years at Fulton University and um, I left in two, a year and a half ago. 
mm-hmm. and uh, really looking into doing more entrepreneurial things. I started businesses inside Fullcell, and some of them were very successful, and some of them mildly successful, and some of them were not successful at all. In mm-hmm. my but but I always wanted to be able to own part of what I do, and um, and uh, so I wanted to leave and. Uh, to do that, and they were very kind to me, and uh, I'm left in very good terms. Um, uh, and I did a lot of networking to understand, you know, what was going to be my next stage in life. And and in, through that networking, somebody introduced me to this concept of being a factional executive, and, um, and so that you could work with different companies, helping them grow, and uh, and also as part of the comp- have compensation in both uh, stock and cash. And um, so I thought, oh, this is this is this is great for me at uh, at least until I find a place where I want to go full time. So I started doing that. In, I got clients immediately, um, mm-hmm. and there's it's been working with startups ever since. Uh, but now, uh, like four months ago, uh, uh, Jack, uh, which you have had in your show as well, he just exited Stacks, and we have been you know, acquaintances for a long time through the local ecosystem. And uh, we have launched several times. And he, ha- he, has a, he has a lot of interest in education and training. So he will ask me questions. And, and um, so he approached me about his new, his new startup, which was called Senseli at the time. I just thought that he wanted another, you know, it was going to be another client for me. Mm-hmm. And, um, and uh, so I gave up a proposal. <laughs> And then he came back with no, no, but I needed the president, and uh, which I was not expecting at all. Uh, mm-hmm. So I started working with him and and Fincelli uh, about four months ago, and we rebranded that to Pete. Uh, I like that so much better. Yeah, Fincelli is hard for people to tell and uh, and to spell and to and to uh, to pronounce, and uh, so this is difficult when your brand has has is not helping you. So Pete stands for personalized education, training, and enrichment. And, uh, and it's easy to pronounce it, it's easy to spell, and it, people get it. Uh, so we, about a month ago, we rebranded to that. Mm. Well, that was a super good story. So we're going to have to blow through these next few questions relatively quickly. Mm-hmm. A favorite quote that you live by? Yes. What is it? There's a lot of quotes that I live by, but one that I... I, I I really like with, when I'm working with people in the, uh, because I'm a very uh, data-oriented person and uh, um, working with people, there's always uh, opinions and emotions and and, uh, and and those are great. We should always listen to those, but to make decisions, if there's hard data, it's always good to have, to at least look at it. And uh, so I read this quote years ago uh, that said, if we have data, let's look at the data. If all we have is opinions, Let's go with mine. And uh, so I I did a, a scientific study for retention of full cell that took me about three years. And uh, uh, and I also start my presentation with that quote uh, so that people will let go of their biases and what they thought about the issue was and, uh, and uh, allow themselves to look at the data and what they actually the data was saying about uh, the issue ahead. So I started using it uh, all the time. So when, when I'm working with, with anyone and we and we're trying to make a decision i i remind them do, do we have any data if we have data let's look at that and if we don't have that then all we have is opinions and i have mine too and if i'm the one in charge we're gonna go with mine 
So, mm -hmm. <laughs> so I kind of live by that one. I looked this up and it was uh, Jim Barksdale. I went, wow, I like that quote. I'm going to be yes. using that quote too. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, that's really good. That's golden. Okay. So what is the hardest lesson you learned that changed your life? I don't know if that classify as hardest. In, um, it can be uh, a hard lesson. But a hard lesson, and uh, I come from, from a very touchy culture. In my country, people really say hi by hugging. Right? Mm -hmm. They just talk about shake hands uh, down there, even if it's male, female, or whatever it is, uh, there's always hugging. And uh, so I always thought that people like to hug. And uh, so even when people, some people are more like, they get very tense when you, when you hug them. And I never cared. I just hugged them anyway. And um, and a few years ago, an employee told me that she didn't like to be uh, she didn't like to be hugged. And and the thing is, like I, I just don't believe it. And at the time, I didn't believe it. And um, so I continued doing it. And um, um, it, and then her spouse came to me and, and and said, you know, she doesn't like to be hugged. And it wasn't something that I was, uh, you know. It wasn't inappropriate. Is it wasn't saying. inappropriate, yeah. but I wasn't getting it. You weren't and, like uh, really believing it. Right. I wasn't really believing it. And then when the spouse told me that, I'm like, okay, I there really is such a thing that people don't like to, uh, some people don't like to be hugged. And uh, so it was a very big learning for me. So now I ask. Yeah. Uh, asking is a good thing. Yeah. What are you most grateful for? Um. The thing that you're gonna hear with me is is uh, is that I'm always grateful for family and friends and relationships is what's most important uh, to me, and uh, so I'm I'm grateful for all all the relationships that I have in my life. Mm -hmm. with my parents, my siblings, my wife, my kids, and my friends. Those are good things to have because those mm -hmm. are the things that truly matter in life, right? That and health. <laughs> um, and what would you want to be remembered for? So hopefully as a good as a good parent, a husband and a friend. Oh, yeah. Well, I believe that to be true. So we're going to take a moment to acknowledge our sponsor, Cat5 Studios, and we will be right back. The Intern Whisperer is brought to you by Cat5 Studios, who help you create games and videos for your training and marketing needs that are out of this world. Visit Cat5 Studios for more information to learn how Cat5 Studios can help your business. Thank you, Cat5 Studios. So now we're back to the second half of our show. This is where we look at what is the future of 2030 going to be like? Not that far away. So think about it as it relates to jobs and to um, industries and how you think that might look. So 2030, what does your world of 2030 look like? It's all opinions. You know, so. I usually really good at this because I I, I feel like five five year windows are are, are easy to to see, and um, uh, but I'm having a hard time with this one just because artificial intelligence has been so disruptive. And um, uh, what I will say then is that there will not there will be very few places in which artificial intelligence doesn't play a role. I agree with you. Yeah. How that actually looks like, I, I don't know. I don't know yet. But there isn't a day that I'm, I don't use artificial intelligence. Mm -hmm. It has been a while, actually, even before generative AI, uh, artificial intelligence have been in everybody's life without people noticing <laughs> about 50 years. 
but now normal people using it is it, is a very big change. You know, I liken this as to something that people, um, it's been progressive throughout our lives, right? At first, when man was on the earth, we, we would write on caves. And then from caves, I'm going to take big industrial age jumps here. We go from caves to a place where, you know, people are writing in books, you know, hand. And then we go to printing presses. And then we move from there to creating the web. And then we go from the web to where we are, you know, the internet and, you know, web three and, and AR, VR. But now we have chat or AI technology, right? And so people, when we first had the internet, they were going, oh my God, if it's on the internet, it must be true. But they aren't believing, they don't recognize there's good things out there and there's bad things. And now that we have chat, they they think, oh my God, what is that? And I said, if you just think about how technology has progressed, it is the next step. AI gathers all knowledge, like this, I'm holding my arms out big for the listeners, all knowledge spread your arms out and it makes it it gathers it all in so that we can have all of this information at our fingertips in seconds you know literally right in seconds and minutes and so we have to you know filter through that and see well what's real and what's not you know and we have to look at the data because we know that people can put fake videos up there we know that people can put fake news out there there's all of this stuff but that's where AI pulls all of this. When you ask for something, you get good in it's the back. It's putting everything. It's putting our, our best and our worst. It is. So I believe one of the jobs going into the future now, should be now, is a fact checker that's actually verifying what is real that's being given to me in these seconds. I think there's definitely going to be tools to help with fact-checking. I've seen experiments where they're putting an AI in front of the other. So we have an AI fact-checking the other AI. Mm-hmm. Um, um, but you also remember that we, we got a skeptical and then we learned how to uh, search better and make mm-hmm. sure that uh, I think that users will also get better at checking their own work. Mm-hmm. And uh, But yes, as, absolutely. I, I think that most most likely the we have to have roles that help um verify verify and curate mm-hmm. yeah. right what is that quote that journalists use it's verify and then check trust but, fair, trust but verify yeah yeah trust I think Ronald Reagan said that, right? yeah i i would believe that too yeah so so if we have all of this technology and it's AI and it's it's just moving at a pace that no human can move, you know, what other type of positions would you see? Because I feel like it it can eliminate some jobs. So the jobs that would be coming into place also would be things that are um, truly demonstrating the value of a human that is not only just checking and verifying if everything is correct, but putting that spin on it that makes it sound human. I had read this article last week that students, three students out of 20, had submitted a paper and they were accused no longer of plagiarism, but of using chat because it was the same, you know, they put in the same topic and these three students had the very same paper. So no customization. Even if you use the same prompt, it should not return the same answer. 
and uh, or not verbatim. And uh, but I think it's really it's gonna become really hard to curate an answer like that. So I think the valuations have to change. Mm-hmm. And um, and uh, uh, and I. I, I often talk about this. I'm old enough to remember when, when teachers didn't want calculators in the classroom. Mm-hmm. And um, and then didn't want um, calculators in the in the classroom because mm-hmm. you can push a button and evaluate a whole formula. And um, uh, and then I remember when teachers didn't want a laptop in the classroom mm-hmm. because they didn't want students to be checking, fact-checking the teacher or, or going ahead or getting distracted. Uh, so this is just a new one that teachers are gonna have and are gonna have to uh, uh, work with. Mm-hmm. Well, not only teachers, but the job of a person that's in education has to be very progressive now. You have to be on top of like, well, what are the technologies out there, and what are we doing to make sure that um, the rigor is really in the education now, and it's not I just think, like. I think that the, the rigor has to be in the critical thinking though, mm-hmm. and, uh, which is very hard to evaluate. And the reason why, you know, we teach tests is because it's really hard to evaluate a scale. And mm-hmm. uh, it's so easy to mark an answer somewhere in a machine can evaluate it instead of having to have a conversation with every single student and understanding how much they know. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, uh, um, but that's the world in which we're gonna have to move into. And AI actually can assist in that, in that, in, in in that process as well, um, but we just gotta change it. It's been about over twenty years where the teacher doesn't is not the no longer is the owner of the information. Mm-hmm. You know, when you and I were growing up, the information was coming from that person standing in front of you and There's one direction all the way to verify it or knowing it was true. Mm-hmm. That that actually disappeared about twenty five years ago with the internet. Now whatever that person said, I can go verify and get a lot more knowledge that the person even had. So the teacher became more of a facilitator, a mentor, mm-hmm. a, a curator. And um, so the job of the instructor have been uh, changing over time. And and this this is just a big one though. And, uh, but I, I do believe that uh, those that really care about learning uh, will find a way to incorporate these new tools into the teaching and into the into the process of evaluation and assessment, so that at the end we evaluate learning and not nothing else. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's one of those things that um, we need to wrap our arms around. I had mentioned to you before we're not going to go into the dark space, though, just to be clear. But there is, and I always like our listeners to be informed. Is to um, there's a gentleman he's called the Godfather of AI. His name is Jeffrey Hinton, G-E-O-F-F-R-E-Y, as Jeffrey. And he had invented it back in the 50s. And that's really where the internet, everything came back at, you know, these top tier schools in Boston, you know, where it was Harvard and MIT and all of these geniuses that were going, here, what if we do this, you know, and here we are, what, 50, 60 years later, we're in the world that they created. And they're still doing this kind of stuff, you know, all of these people in the world that are super brilliant, creating futures like, you know, we could look at um, Elon Musk. Are are you going to be going to Mars or the moon or anything on his? No, I'm too old now. 
Yeah. Well, I don't know. People go. You're not too old. <laughs> you can go. Yeah. I, you know, I, I would love to get in a rocket. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. Just as long as you get to come back. That's right. But Mars is probably too far. Yeah. It's yeah. probably too far. It's I will So what do you think about ethical dilemmas with AI? What's your thoughts? Well, I mean, I think any disruptive technology brings bring things that were unexpected and uh, and show their dilemmas later sometimes. I think AI, we can actually see the dilemmas up front. Mm -hmm. And um and I think with the internet, we didn't see the dilemmas up front. And uh, uh, with other iterations of uh, like social media, we didn't see the dilemmas up front. It, it was it was a long time before we we thought uh, we started seeing the the, the bad consequences. Uh, there are a lot of good things about social media, but they're also bad things. I yeah. coming into it, we didn't even think there was any bad thing uh, for mm -hmm. it. And um, so. Um, so with AI is, is is we can already tell that, that they are they are seeing a very big challenges ahead of us, and so I, I'm I take the optimistic side of this. I I, uh, I don't think that AI is going to take over the world, destroy humanity. I just think that uh, it's going to be a great uh, great um, uh, propulsion to to uh, to advancement and innovation. But that doesn't take away from the dilemmas. I mean, I, I, I think uh, uh, cloning in person people, cloning voices, is 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 presents an ethical dilemma, uh, uh, because in a world when we do that really really well, we won't know anymore who to believe. Mm. And, uh, even if if it's something is untrue, uh, even if something is true, then. The, the the person that is being attacked in that whatever doctor video be able to say, well, I never did that. That's doctor. And uh, and uh, that was AI generated. So it will be difficult to tell uh, tr uh, the truth or not the truth. Uh, so I do think there has to be a way by legislation and regulation to say, you gotta be able to identify something that's synthetically created. And, um, mm -hmm. Uh, so you be able to say, oh, that is actually a real person doing this or saying that, or person, mm -hmm. this is this, 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 this. So that is one of the biggest one uh, for me. I then, like that idea. Yeah. I also think that uh, uh, the biases are, are very real. So scientists that are training models have to be very aware of the biases. I was telling somebody that I'm generating images in the... Uh, of a, like a digital professional. And if I say, give me an image of a project manager and uh, working his, in, in an office and not really say any gender, uh, it will come back as a white male. Mm. The first try will be a white male. And uh, so I have to add to the prompt. I want it to be female. I want it to be olive skin. And that's how I can get a different uh, a different profile person. So mm -hmm. that that tells me that there's an overwhelming amount of training uh, with 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 Caucasian than otherwise. And that's so, true. Saying that this is true, it has been found before. So 
that's another ethical dilemma we ought to have. So if it is for images, it got to be for something else. It will be for opinions. It, it will be for truth, for you know, for facts. Even the way you laid out facts could have with biases. So the training comes with the good and with 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 the bad. So there are dilemmas everywhere. Mm -hmm. And uh, um, and I, I but I am hopeful that we're gonna be able to that the net result will be positive in uh, for society. Mm -hmm. You mentioned something that's very insightful too, because uh, Netflix has this special called conscious bias um, or unconscious bias. I think it's unconscious bias. And it was all of the people that were up in these, these universities in Boston and New York that created the um, facial recognition. And it can clearly identify the anybody that's white, but it was just lumping everybody together that was a person of color. You know, whether you were male or female, it just puts you all together. So then people were being wrongly accused and arrested for things that they hadn't done. Because if you walk outside your door and you go into any building and even on the streets, you see cameras. If you count them in like two blocks, you will be amazed at how many cameras are there and capturing us all the time. But people don't, I don't think they're aware of what's going on around them. We're always on camera. Our phones are always listening. Yes, well, I, I have very little technology in my house. Like mm. And um, um, because of that very reason, I don't I don't see a reason why my uh, my phone should talk to my washer and dryer. Mm -hmm. I so see your washer and dryer, your refrigerator, your coffee maker, none of them have any AI built into no, it. It's or, just or like Wi -Fi or an old me. coffee pot. For me, that's actually a security hall if I turn out the Wi-Fi for those devices. Well, what about your TV behind you, though? I don't put the Wi-Fi in the TV either. Ah. Yeah. I, I don't because, because I have to believe. I, I, I use uh, a smart TV through uh, Apple TV, but yeah. I trust Apple. Mm. I don't trust the, the manufacturer of my TV for, for cybersecurity. Is what I mentioned. And uh, so, yeah, I am very careful about all devices have a way to communicate. And I say, I, I just don't want to. I mean, I just kind of mm -hmm. choose the devices that I want to connect to. Do you and, read uh, the terms and conditions of all of these things? I think most yeah. Americans do not. Uh, nobody does. I think AI can help with that. Mm. I, and, I have read them on um, on some of my things. So Apple, the iPods. Uh, that you put in your ears, it says this can cause cancer by putting it this close to your head. And then it has some some case studies. And I went, okay, I'm not buying those. So I always make sure that my um, I have, you know, wired ones plugged in or I put them on, you know, on speaker because I'm yeah. just, no, I Absolutely. don't want to. <laughs> yeah, it, it, it's one less thing. So I'm with you in that place. And maybe I'm a little bit further. <laughs> In that same area, because I was going, no, I don't think I'm going to do that. Anyway, okay, so we've got to be wrapping up our show here, Luis. Um, how best mentoring advice that you would like to pass on? I think that we all have to listen to those that have unconditional love to, for us. Mm. Why? So when I need advice, I first go to my family. Because you trust them and believe them, right? 
they have a conditional love for me and I have a conditional love for them. And, and they're going to tell you the truth. Yeah. Yeah. So I think we ought to listen to those. We ought to, we <clears throat> ought to listen carefully to those that have unconditional love for us. I like that one. So how can our listeners connect with you? So I, I, um, I'm mostly in LinkedIn and uh, you can find me at uh, Luis E. Garcia. And, uh, uh, and I usually, you know, if you want to write me, I'll answer back. You can follow me in there. That's the easiest way to connect with me. Very nice. We did share the Pete Learning website and the Pete Learning um, LinkedIn. Uh, and just so our listeners have even deeper appreciation for what you said, why only one social channel for Pete Learning? <laughs> yes, uh, I made that decision. And uh, a couple of things. Number one, I, you know, I like to do things well. Mm -hmm. and, uh, and, and managing social channels takes a lot of work, a lot of resources. And as a startup, we don't have many, a lot of resources. So we have to pick and choose. So uh, because we are, uh, so that's the first reason why to limit the social channels. Now, why only one? Uh, then uh, is because we are B2B a company, we're selling. So we, if we're gonna put effort into a social channel, we want it to be a, a place where our customers or potential customers will be. And that's buying far in LinkedIn. And the second second reason is because uh, at this point, the uh, right now, the the um, ecosystem of social media is very uncertain, and, mm. uh, and I don't think that we can drive value from any, anywhere else right now. Yeah, you gave me when we had this conversation offline. You gave me a you know, a thought, you know, and I went, I'm going to pause on this one too, because, you know, how much of it, I know I have a three-sided market. So I feel like I, I have to be there in some of the social channels to hit the the generations that I'm, you know, was seeking in mine. I'm B2B, but, you know, that's the paying customer, but inventory is B2C. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, two-sided market. Right? Yeah. yeah. Well, it's school, students, and employers. So it's three-sided. But yeah. anyway, Thank you so much. Your insight and wisdom, I cherish it. And I truly mean that because I love the story that I got to be a part of. And I am confident our listeners will. Um, so this show airs just so you know, you know, and you can tell people to start looking for it is December 5th. Oh, and just love me for 2023. Yeah, yeah. Awesome. I love it. Yeah. So, um, you know, we are there. And you're going to be um, part of that that group of people that's going to be driving a lot more traffic uh, to obviously your show, but also to the Interim Whisper podcast. So awesome. I am so excited to have had you. Thank you for having me. I really enjoy every minute that I spend with you. So I'm, I'm and, uh, very happy to spend this time with you. And uh, hopefully I was, I was able to give something of help. Oh, you have. You've been immensely helpful. I appreciate it. Well, you uh, have a great evening, and I look forward to catching up with you again another time. Happy Halloween. Take care. We want to thank our sponsor, Cat5 Studios, and thank you to our video team, Gabe Laporte, Tommy Myers, Andrew Pigott, and Julissa Hurtado. Music is by Charles Lawrence Lead, and you can visit Employers for Change at www.e4c.tech to learn how you can create real diversity and inclusive culture while scaling your people for the future work. Thank you for supporting The Intern Whisperer by subscribing to us on Podbean, our Employers for Change YouTube channel, 
or streaming from your favorite podcast channel.